The reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. If you would like to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1132. Romans chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I first of all say uh, it's a great pleasure to be back at St. Michael's this morning and a great privilege to be invited by Charles to give the address at this Remembrance Sunday service. And thank you too, Charles, for your very warm welcome. It seems a very long time ago uh, since uh, my future wife, Pippa, and I and Charles were all at Durham University together, Pippa and Charles conscientiously studying theology and me not studying very much. But uh, to keep me up to the intellectual mark, some weeks ago, Charles very kindly sent me the title and text for today, uh, most appropriately the title, The Ultimate Sacrifice, and the text which we've just heard, the lesson Romans 5, 1 to 8, which finish with the words, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's on a Remembrance Sunday like today that these themes of sacrifice and salvation most closely come together. Now, within our national four-year commemoration of the First World War, this year our thoughts have been dominated by the Third Battle of Ypres, or the Battle of Passchendaele, as it's more commonly known in this country. A necessary battle fought in the third day of that appalling conflict, but a battle probably fought in the wrong place and at the wrong time of year. The experts knew that the summer weather often broke early in mid to late August in that part of Flanders, yet the battles were scheduled for the autumn. And the monsoon-like rain soon turned the low-lying land into a quagmire. Fatalities were on a par with the Somme just the year before, but the experiences of those who survived were a literal hell on earth in the clawing mud. But I always feel that at this time of the year we're not remembering so much the events of the past, but the men and the women who took part in those events, those who lived, those who fought, those who hoped, those who were injured, and those who died in the struggles of the past. But one of those who died in the struggle at Passchendaele was Captain Noel Chavas, an army doctor who had already won the Victoria Cross in 1916. Of his actions at Passchendaele the following year, it was written in the citation for his second VC, and I quote, Though severely wounded early in the action, while carrying a wounded soldier to the dressing station, 
Captain Chavas refused to leave his post and for two days not only continued to perform his duties, but in addition went out repeatedly under heavy fire to search for and attend to the wounded who were lying out. During these searches, although practically without food during this period, warm with fatigue and faint with his wound, he assisted to carry in a number of badly wounded men over heavy and difficult ground. By his extraordinary energy and inspiring example, he was instrumental in rescuing many wounded who would otherwise undoubtedly have succumbed under the bad weather conditions. And the citation ends, this devoted and gallant officer subsequently died of his wounds. Captain Noel Chavas, already a holder of the military cross, was the only soldier in the Great War to win the Victoria Cross twice. And in verse 7 of our text from Romans 5, we read and we heard just now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Captain Chavas, son of a bishop of Liverpool, dared to die, and like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made the ultimate sacrifice in a place called Passchendaele, a place named after the Passion of Christ. And so many of those who died there in the mud did so with no known grave, and were remembered this morning just a couple of miles away at the cenotaph. Cenotaph, a word derived from the Greek meaning an empty tomb. And at this remembrance tide, those who died are the reason that we gather year after year around our war memorials, lay our wreaths, to remember with great gratitude not only the many thousands of men and women who gave their lives in the two world wars, but also those who lost their lives in a host of campaigns since. And they all did so that we might be able to live in peace and freedom today. They gave their today for our tomorrow, the ultimate sacrifice. And what a responsibility that places on us. So it is very right that at this time of year we should stop, remember and give great thanks for the sacrifice of those who risked their lives from Passchendaele to Port Stanley, from Belfast to Basra, and from Sarajevo to Sangin. And moreover, we should be very conscious that such sacrifice is not just a thing of yesterday. It's a here and now matter, as so many continue to be caught up in the slipstream of international terrorism and in today's conflicts around the world. None more dangerous, when I suggest, than that spilling out from Syria and Iran and the Middle East region at present, and one threatening once again on the Korean Peninsula. But it is the individual people involved and not the events that I want us to concentrate our minds on this morning. At first glance, major wars are fought by massed armies marching across the battlefields of history. But those marching armies are made up of individual soldiers, each with their own hopes and fears. If you'd gone to the Tower of London at this time in 2014, as I suspect many of you did, and when you looked into the moat, you'd not have seen the green grass that you might have expected, but instead a sea of red depicting the blood-swept battlefields of the Great War. And on closer inspection, it was not just a sea of red, but an array of individual glazed ceramic poppies, 888,246 of them, each one the size of a heart, one poppy for every British and colonial soldier who lost their lives in the Great War. Wars might be started by governments for a variety of motives, but they're fought by ordinary men and women, each one precious, not only to their families and to their countries, but precious to our Creator, God himself. And each of those 888,246 poppies represented a life lost and a family shattered 
in that terrible war a century ago. I think it was that realization of individual personal tragedy and sacrifice that made that commemorative installation so effective. Sometimes, after the major wars of the past, was God on our side? But of course, that is fundamentally the wrong question. God didn't create nations or states that might fight against each other and invoke God to be on their side. He just made individual people. He made all those individual soldiers represented by the poppies. But the right question for us, as it was for them, is not whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side personally. Because the relationship that really matters in life and before our death is our own relationship with God. He made us and he loves us and he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. It's often said there are no atheists in a foxhole and those great war soldiers represented by the poppies at the tower would have had to confront the issues of life and death every day they served in the trenches as they clutched their rifles and machine guns in that clawing mud amidst the cacophony of deafening sounds. I think we can only surmise something of the anguish that went on in their hearts a hundred years ago. But we do know what is going on in our hearts today. In my early years in the army, I endeavoured to live as a Christian, but there were competing pressures, and it became too easy to duck the difficult issues and go too much with the flow. And that was until I was personally confronted with issues of life and death. But even having my driver shot dead beside me in Belfast, or being just a few yards away from my company commander and three others who were killed by an IED in South Armagh, even these events didn't really focus my mind. It was not until, as a 26-year-old captain, when I had a major stroke, that I fully consider the quality of my commitment to Christ. As the German doctor in the main hospital in Berlin said to Piff and my wife, then just of six months standing, it is how you say in England, 50-50, we win some, we lose some. But now the day I was taken ill was the 11th of November, 1977, 40 years ago yesterday, as it happens. And we all know that yesterday... The 11th of November each year is the anniversary of Armistice Day, when at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, the surrender of Germany to end the First World War was announced. But a surrender is two things. It's the end of the fighting, and it's the beginning of the peace. I found, after years of fighting with my creator, compromising and ignoring his challenges, I found that a far better way of life was to commit myself wholeheartedly to him to surrender my will to his will and thereby gain the peace and purpose in life that only complete trust in Jesus Christ can give. And we can be reassured in the turbulent times of 2017, like the horrific times of 1917, that Almighty God, through the ultimate sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ, still wants us to reach out to him today, to kneel at the foot of his cross, to look towards him, and by taking God's hand, to place our trust and our future in him. It's only then that we can end our personal war and be welcome to walk side by side with him in his service in sure and certain hope. In an individual life, live with God in peace or joy, in joy, in peace or war, in joy or tragedy. We, as St. Paul wrote in the Romans in chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Moreover, lives lived in tune with Christ, committed to Christ and open to the Holy Spirit, 
Those lives can change families, can change communities, and can change nations. This is not something done by mighty armies. It's done by ordinary individuals. That is the challenge, the opportunity, and the choice that's before us today. So, on this Remembrance Sunday, let's look beyond the mass armies and the clash of nations or ideologies who wonder whether God was on their side, but just see the ordinary men and women themselves and give thanks for their service and their sacrifice in their day. And for us, surely the challenge is to face those things that confront us now and to ask ourselves what is really important in our lives, whether we're willing to let God into our lives, to let him change our lives, our hearts and our actions, and to do it not just for ourselves, but thereby to influence our families, our communities, and perhaps our nation. If that were to be the case, and we were to make that personal commitment today, that would make this Sunday, this Remembrance Sunday, a very special Sunday to remember.